what a great passage. Uh, I hope that kind of warms your heart as it was read out. Uh, there's no way I can deal with it in uh, you know, 25, 30 minutes or so on a Sunday morning in full. So make sure you get the gospel team this week to be able to uh, dig in more to this great chapter. But uh, let me pray and uh, then we'll, we'll have a look. Let me pray. And I'll pray in light of the words of Psalm 111. Lord, your works are great and they're studied by all who delight in them. And the fear of you is the beginning of wisdom and all who follow your instructions have good insight. So help us this morning, really, as we do delve into your great works, as we see this overview chapter and all that you've done in history, showing that you are the faithful God and help us to be encouraged. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Let me uh, begin by asking, how is your faith going? Uh, You see, the the God of the universe has made these incredible promises to humanity. Uh, God the Father has sent God the Son to live the perfect life we could not live. Uh, Jesus came to pay the perfect sacrifice we could not pay. Uh, Jesus was born and died and rose again to bring us peace with God that we could never have brought ourselves. And the God of the universe, he says to us, in light of what Jesus, my son, has done, if you follow Jesus, my son, if you stick with Jesus, my son, then what awaits is this incredible promise, a great reward, a a perfect new creation of rest with me, with God, this place where there will never be, there will be no more sickness, Uh, there will be no more pain, no more death, no more broken relationships, no more misunderstandings or stress or anxiety or uh, overwhelming busyness, no more sleeplessness, no more boredom, none of that. Only what is perfect, what is good, what is eternally satisfying. So that's a promise God makes to us because of Jesus, his son. He says, I promise that is what awaits those who belong to Jesus, my son. And that all sounds pretty good, right? Sounds fantastic. I hope you agree. So can I ask, how is your faith going when it comes to those incredible promises of our God to humanity, to us? Do you believe them? Do you trust that God will actually do and fulfill those promises? Is your life in the present, in the now, shaped in light of those future promises? So let me tell you how these first readers of Hebrews were going, how how things were for them 2,000 years ago. They were finding it hard. Uh, Do you remember what we saw last week about the first readers uh, of this letter? At one point, what happened to them? They had their possessions confiscated. They had their property taken away because they were Christians. They, They were subject to public taunts and afflictions. Some of them were imprisoned, we read last week. And the temptation for them, as we've seen throughout this letter, was to draw back from Jesus because it was hard to stick with Jesus. They, they, they were tempted to give up on the promises of God. And most of them, uh, many of them would have had a Jewish background. So the temptation for them was to go back to the Old Testament way, to just rejoin their Old Testament Jewish communities because, hey, their Old Testament Jewish communities, they weren't getting persecuted. Things for them didn't seem as difficult as it was because now they'd become a Christian. So why stick with Jesus? It's hard. It it costs them. It affected their present life in a way that was uncomfortable. It actually affected their present life in a way that was dangerous because they were holding on to the promises of God. And so how was the faith of these first readers of Hebrews going 
well, to be honest, they were wondering, is this whole Jesus thing worth it? Have I got it right? Can I, should, should I trust these promises of God? Because at the moment, it's really hard. That's what it was like for them. So let me ask us again, how are you going in trusting and believing and being shaped by the promises of God? Are you finding it hard? Is your present life making it hard at the moment? Or are you clinging on to the promises of God because every other promise in this life has fallen short and you know that all, all promises compared to God's promises are actually frivolous? Or is it that you don't really know? I don't know how my faith's going because I haven't thought about it. I haven't thought about it in a long time because life's so busy going from A to B and, you know, C, D, E and F when you've got four kids and you have to race them around all over the place. Life's packed full of stuff and work and leisure and stress and, and worry. I just haven't had the time to stop and think about how's my faith in the promises of God going. You see, how are you going? And I don't know everyone's situation here this morning. I don't know everyone's circumstances or how you might answer that question in your mind right now. But what I do know is that you need this word from God from Hebrews chapter 11. Why? Because regardless of how your faith is going right in this moment of your life, be it good or bad or indifferent, the reality of this life is that things will happen that will put pressure on your faith. That will put pressure in your trust in the promises of God. That is the reality of life. It was true for these her, the first readers of this letter, and it's just as true for us. But what we'll see in Hebrews chapter 11 is a long-term view. The long-term view always shows that you are right to trust in God. So having said all that, let's, uh, let's jump into the chapter proper now. And the way the chapter begins is by giving us this definition of faith. So I'm actually, you've got Hebrews 11 in front of you. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Let me read it. From verse 1, the writer writes, Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. And if you just keep your eyes on verse 1 there, the first thing to say about this definition of faith is that it's not trying to say everything there is to say about faith. Please don't misunderstand that this is a whole that the Bible has to say about faith. It's not saying everything. It's not a, a full-blown doctrine of what the Bible says about faith, but it is saying something very real and something very significant about faith. And the emphasis in Hebrews chapter 11, it's on the future. It's on, if you look again at verse 1, have a look at verse 1, the emphasis is on what is hoped for and what is not seen. Because you can't see the stuff of the future. It hasn't happened yet. You haven't experienced it yet. You hope for it. You, you look to the unseen. And so what verse 1 is saying is, to be a person of faith is to, be, is to be a person who's so confident that God will do what he's promised to do in the unseen future that you believe it to be the reality now. It's to be a person whose present day is shaped and affected because of how confident you are of what will be. That's what this means by faith. Now, I know that sounds a bit wordy, so let me give you a simple example to make the point. So let, let's say that my, my father-in-law makes a promise to take my family on a European holiday. Sounds pretty good, right? Uh, I, I could never afford that. 
Uh, I hope he realizes there's six of us. It'll probably cost him $20,000 just to fly us to Europe as a family. But just, just imagine my father-in-law made Emily and I that promise. And uh, he, he's a man of his word. There's no reason for me to doubt his word. And imagine that we, you know, we go around uh, for dinner, as we often do, to, to see them sometime on the weekend. And uh, as we go around for dinner, we see the brochures there on the table. And we see how they're planning our European trip. There'll be three days in Paris and another three days in London. Then we'll spend 10 nights on a nice European river cruise. I think I've thought about this too much, but, you know, one can only dream. Uh, maybe I'll send this sermon to my father-in-law. Uh, now, now, trusting or having faith in the promise of my father-in-law would then shape my present day. How would I apply for leave? If he says, we're going to go to a European holiday for four weeks over Christmas, I'll apply for leave. Uh, I'd then need to check if we've got enough travel bags. And I know we don't for six of us, so we'd have to buy some luggage or borrow some. I'd need to get all our passports sorted, which would cost the mozza, because again, there's six passports to pay for. But if I believe the promise of my father-in-law, then that would shape how I live now. I'd fork out the money for those things, for luggage, for passports. You see, faith does things. It trusts. It acts. To have faith is to have your present day shaped in light of what you believe will happen in that unseen future. So when I'm standing there enjoying the view from up top the Eiffel Tower, I don't need faith anymore. Uh, I might need faith that my father-in-law won't chuck me over or I him because by that time we would annoy each other week on end. But at that point... The promise is realized. You don't need to have faith. And so it is when it comes to the promises of God. Faith is to be so confident that God will do what he promises to do, that it shapes your life now. It changes your life now. And that is the kind of people the writer of Hebrews is encouraging his readers to be, to be people shaped in the present day because of how confident they are of that unseen future. And this whole chapter actually flows out from what we saw in chapter 10 last week. So just have a look back at chapter 10, verse 39. Let's look back at verse 39 from chapter 10 from last week. Because do you remember what kind of people the writer wanted the people of Hebrews to be? Verse 39, he wanted them to be the people, the kind of people who do not draw back and are destroyed, if you remember the warnings from last week, but to be those who have faith and obtain life. That is eternal life. And so what chapter 11 does is it gives us example and example after example of what it looks like to be those who have faith and therefore obtain life. That's the point of chapter 11. So what I want to do now is look quickly at some of those examples in, uh, of faith in chapter 11. And again, we won't have time to look at all of them. There's so many of them. Look at them, uh, the ones I miss in your gospel teams. But just notice with almost every one of them, at least all the ones we're going to look at now, the situation and the circumstances of their lives were not easy. So as you read these examples of faith, it's not as though God called them to be faithful and to trust him when things were easy and rosy and good. And that's really important to note because the first readers of this letter, life as a Christian for them was not easy and rosy and good. And like I've already said, for some of us, there will be times, if not there's a time for you right now, where you'll need to continue to live by faith when things are not easy and not rosy and not good. 
So as we look at each of these examples, we'll keep that in mind. So we'll start with Noah. Have a look. Chapter 11, uh, verse 7. Verse 7. By faith, Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen and motivated by godly fear, he built an ark to deliver his family. And if you go back and reread Genesis 6, it's really incredible the way that Noah acts by faith. See, God just out of nowhere says to him, understand that I'm going to bring this great flood. And understand that I'm going to establish a covenant, a special promise with you, Noah, and your family. And because of these things, what you, Noah, are to do is to make for yourself this giant ark, this this massive boat with lower and middle and upper decks. And when you just step back and think about that, it just sounds like utter craziness that you would just hear this word from God and then go off and build this ark. But over and over again, you read Genesis 6, Noah did everything that God had commanded him. And the Bible doesn't tell us this, but Noah must have been mocked for building that ark. And just imagine, he's building this massive thing on dry ground. There's no water around him to be seen. Imagine the people walking by seeing this huge boat built on the land. You know, there's crazy Noah building that boat again, spending his day building the boat, giving up his day job to build this boat. What a nutter. But Noah believed in what was not yet seen. He believed that God's judgment was to come. And if you remember Jesus' words in Matthew 24, what happened in the days of Noah? When people were getting on with their daily lives, when people were going on eating and drinking and and marrying and giving each other off in, in marriage, what were they doing? Enjoying life. And then what happened? The flood came. The fulfillment of God's promise came and crazy Noah, well, he wasn't that crazy, was he? And then what about Abraham? There's heaps here about Abraham, but what did Abraham do by faith? Look at verse 8. Verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and went out to a place he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. And if you go back and read Joshua chapter 24, you read how Abraham and his fathers, they were pagan worshippers. See, Abraham didn't follow the God of Israel. He didn't know Yahweh. God came and spoke to him. And before God spoke to him, Abraham was a pagan worshipper. And even though the God of the Bible was not Abraham's God at that time, and the land that God was calling Abraham to go to was not the land of Abraham's ancestors, what did Abraham do by faith? He obeyed. He listened. He went. And why? If you go back and read Genesis 12, it's because God gave him a promise. He gave him a promise of a better land and of a new nation that would come through him and of great blessing. And even with Abraham, when circumstances were such that it looked humanly impossible for the promises of God to come true, I remember Sarah. She was barren. She couldn't have children. Uh, uh, you know, how, how could the offspring come? When they couldn't have children. How could Abraham become a nation when they couldn't have children? And Abraham himself, he was so old. And I love the way that, uh, that Abraham's described in verse 12. Just look at verse 12 for a minute. He, he was one as good as dead. Which is, you know, not a very nice way of saying he was so old. But even when it looked humanly impossible for God to keep his word, Abraham showed faith. He acted in light of God's word. And God did what he said he would do. What happened? Isaac was born. Then what happened? 
Jacob was born. And then what happened? The 12 tribes of Israel. And then the thousands, the millions who became children of Abraham. You don't believe me? They're still here today. Children of Abraham are still in our world now. God kept his promise. If you just look at verse 13 for a moment, uh, even, though, uh, even though some of what uh, God promised did come to pass in Abraham's life, if you look at verse 13, much more of it still lay in the future. He, he still had to look forward. So look at verse 13. These all died, that is, including Abraham, in faith without having received the promises. But they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. And so you see, during the whole time of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they never received God's promise in full. They never got it all. If you look back at verse 9, just look at verse 9, they were foreigners living in tents in their time in the land. Abraham, he never became a great nation in his lifetime. He didn't experience the kingdoms of David and Solomon with the great temple and the great palace and and the great city. And imagine the temptation for Abraham just to pack up his tent and then go back to his ancestral land. He was in a foreign land living in a tent. Why stay? So if you look at verse 15, Abraham could have gone back at any time. See, every time difficulty came and it seemed impossible, Abraham could have turned his back on God. But he didn't. Why? Because he trusted the promises of God. Because verse 10, let me read verse 10. Because he, Abraham, was not just looking for some earthly land, but Abraham was looking forward to the city that has foundations, who architect and builder is God. And verse 16, look quickly at verse 16. It's because Abraham desired a better place, a heavenly one. You see, Abraham trusted because what did he do? He looked forward to the unseen future. The stuff you can't see yet. And what about Moses? Verse 24. Look at verse 24. By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the short-lived pleasure of sin. And why did he do that? Look at verse 26. Why? Verse 26. For Moses considered the reproach because of the Messiah. And what's that saying there is, is the reproach or the the insult in being associated with the chosen people of God, because the Messiah means the chosen one. And here I think it's referring to God's people as the chosen one. So he considered insult in the now, in belonging to the people of God, verse 26, to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, since his attention was on the reward. And when you stop and think about that, again, it's an incredible example of how your present day is shaped in light of future promises. Because Moses, he looked forward to the eternal reward. He he wasn't consumed by the earthly. He actually rejected the riches of Egypt in the present. He was the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He would have had riches upon riches upon riches. His life before him would have been as simple as can be. No slave labor for him, even though he was a Hebrew. And yet not only did he reject the riches of Egypt, but he chose to suffer with the people of God in his present. And isn't that often the way of faith for the Christian life? 
See, often the way of faith for the Christian life is we say no to things in the present because we say yes to the greater things in the future. And if we had all day, we could keep looking at all these great examples of faith in the Old Testament. You get Rahab in verse 31. And if you know the story of Rahab, she, she literally risked her life by faith. She risked it by faith in a God that wasn't even the God of her people because she believed in the God and what she'd heard about Yahweh, the God of Israel. But the point of all these examples is to show us what faith looks like. And faith, it acts. It, it, it does stuff. It trusts. And in particular, in Hebrews 11, it looks forward. It looks to an unseen future, confident that God will do what he's promised to do. And quite humbly, faith in this chapter continues to trust regardless of the situation, regardless of the present-day circumstances of your life. And if you just skim your eyes briefly over the verses from verse 35, just have a look in verse 35. Because these are some other incredible examples of faith. Verse 35, you see, some, by faith, were tortured. Verse 36, by faith, experienced mockings and floggings, bonds and imprisonments. Verse 37, were stoned and sawed in two. By faith, they died by the sword. They became destitute, afflicted and mistreated. Just realize that these are our our fellow followers of God. Realize that these are the people who by faith persevered and endured despite their circumstances. And the great truth is, we will meet these people in the new creation. When, When we continue ourselves in faith and make it on that last day, because we trust in Jesus and stick with him and become part of that new creation reality, these people will be there. Why? Because they stuck with God. Because they persevered in faith to the end. Even if for some of them it meant their killing. It's quite encouraging, isn't it? Quite humbling. And this chapter would have been a massive encouragement to those readers 2,000 years ago who first read this letter. Why? Again, because they were suffering. They, They were finding faith in God hard. They were wondering, is sticking with Jesus really worth it? And reading Hebrews chapter 11, they were given example after example after example of their fellow followers of God who knew what it was like to keep trusting when they suffered and who declared to them, yes, 100%, stick with God. The long-term view always shows that God keeps his promises. And the last point from this passage is that even though these first readers of Hebrews Sorry, the last point of this passage is that these first readers of Hebrews and us today, we should know this even better, even more than those Old Testament saints. Because we have Jesus. So you have a quick look at the last part of this chapter. Look at verses 39 and 40. Verse 39. All these were approved through faith. That is, all these Old Testament examples... They showed by how they lived that they belonged to God. They were approved by God because they trusted him. Look at the rest of verse 39. But they did not receive what was promised. They always had to look forward. Why? Well, verse 40. Since God had provided something better for us, so that they would not be made perfect without us. 
In other words, God has always had the plan to send Jesus his son. God always had the plan to fulfill all his promises in Jesus his son. And sometimes I think we forget how incredible it is that Jesus has come. We live after Jesus' life and death and resurrection. You see, God's already done the hard bit. All the big promises of God that he promised to do, the hard bit, has already been done. All the greatness of God's promises are done. That's what we've seen throughout Hebrews, isn't it? This whole, this whole book. Jesus being the perfect sacrifice for sin. It's done. That's the hard bit. Jesus installed as our great high priest so that we can have a way to God. It's done. Your sin's forgiven by the perfect sacrifice. It's, it's done. And so how much more should we believe God when he says to us that the rest now awaits? That the reward of the new creation will come for those who belong to Jesus and stick with Jesus. You see, Jesus coming back, uh, figuratively to speak in this way, that's the easy bit. We're just waiting for the easy bit. The hard bit's been done. So how much more should we live by faith? See, that is a big message for us today. And I want us to, to finish uh, by coming back to where we began. I want to ask again, how is your faith going? How are you going in having your present day, all that you do in the now, shaped in light of God's unseen future? The future we know will happen. Now, I don't know how you might answer that question at this moment in your life, but Hebrews chapter 11 has given us almost every example under the sun as to why we are right to trust in God. Why we would be wise to have our present day shaped in light of that unseen future. And don't, don't get this wrong. This, this isn't some call to, to blind faith or irrational faith. That is not what the Bible is calling us to. Just believe, believe beyond hope and all will be right. That is not what this is saying. Now again, we have almost every example under the sun as to why we're right to trust in God. And that's rational. You see, the flood in the day of Noah, it came. Abraham's line became great and innumerable, more than the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. He got a great land. There was a great blessing through his line. Moses saw the wonders of God in Egypt. He saw and witnessed the power of God to save and he trusted that God. See, Rahab, she risked her life, but she was saved. She was spared from the destruction of her city. Gideon and Barak, the examples we didn't look at, and Samson, they, they did mighty things in the name of God and I could go on. But most of all, Jesus has come and he lived and he died and he rose again. All that God promised he would do. We've got every reason to believe. You see, this is not some call to blind faith. This is a call to what billions of Christians have done for the last 2,000 years. This is a call to remind you and to spur you on that you are right in how you are now living by living for Jesus. That you have every reason to keep trusting in Jesus. You're right to do it. See, the best of life, the eternal life, is still to come. And God's promise of reward in a new creation is not absurd and it's not wishful and it's not pie in the sky. God will do it because he promised he would. 
And our world will try to tell us otherwise and our circumstances will try to tell us otherwise and the business of our lives, it will tempt us otherwise. But the message of Hebrews 11 is really simple. Live in faith like these Old Testament, these Old Testament saints. See, the Christian life, the way of God has always been about faith. Be in the New Testament or the Old Testament. You can trust the promises of God for his unseen future. But let me finish with this. See, at this point, you might be thinking, yeah, but that, that's them. That's those Old Testament heroes. I, I can't be like Abraham. I can't be like Noah. I can't be like Rahab. I can't be as godly and radical and single-minded as they were. I wish I could have their faith, but I'm not as good as them. I'm not as godly as them. But actually, if you stop and think about each of these examples of faith, and maybe do this in your gospel teams through the week, almost all of them were very flawed. You see, the first readers of this letter of Hebrews, they knew their Bibles very well. We know that because the whole of this letter is so rich in the Old Testament that the readers of this letter, they knew their Old Testament. And so they knew that Noah had an issue with drunkenness. And they knew that as they read about Abraham's faith, that Abraham actually took Hagar to start the line of his offspring. And that actually Abraham laughed when God said he and Sarah would become pregnant in their old age. And Sarah laughed as well. And they knew that Moses was reluctant to act, to act on God's word. Remember when God first spoke to Moses in the burning bush? He was embarrassingly reluctant to say yes to God. And they knew very well that Rahab had been a prostitute. And if you read about some of the things that Gideon and Samson and Jephthah did, let alone what we know about King David and his sexual immorality and the murder that came because of King David's sexual immorality. You see, these examples of faith are far from sinless. They're far from perfect. They're far from unwavering. This is, this is not some bulletproof faith example from the Old Testament. No, their faith was the faith of forgiven sinners of God. Forgiven sinners like you and me, who at times stumble who at times waver in our christian lives but who nevertheless never allow that wavering or that stumbling to cause us to draw back from jesus no see we are those who have faith and obtain life and so brothers and sisters the message today is simple trust in the unseen future of god's promises and let those promises shape your present day your every decision your every thought, your every action. Because a long-term view of things always shows that we are right to trust in our God. Well, let me pray. Well, Heavenly Father, uh, we know from Hebrews 11 verse 6 that without faith it is impossible to please you. And Father, we ask therefore that you encourage us to keep living by faith, that we might please you with our lives by trusting in your promises knowing that that unseen future that you promise us will come to be, that Jesus will come back and we will be with him. Help us to keep going by faith. Help us to be forgiven sinners who keep living by faith. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.